Welcome to Peace by Believing. My name is John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And on today's program, we're going to be thinking about the importance of love. So if you have your Bible, I wish you would open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's known as the love chapter in the Bible. And from this passage of Scripture, we're going to be learning some very interesting things about love. Now, what I know is this. Sometimes we have people in our lives who are very easy to love. At other times, we have people in our lives who are not quite as easy to love. And so loving others is sometimes easy and it is sometimes very difficult. But the fact is, if we are truly saved, if we have Jesus Christ living in our hearts, we should be known for our love for one another. And so I pray that today's sermon will be a blessing to you. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13, one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible, one of the greatest pieces of literature. It is the Word of God, but it is also literature, and it is one of the greatest, most beautiful pieces of literature ever written by anyone to anyone. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter in the Bible. And what Paul is saying in this chapter Keep in mind, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is all about spiritual gifts. But at the end of that discussion is chapter 13. And in chapter 13, Paul says, as important as your spiritual gifts are, there's something even more important than that. And that is your heart. And that is whether or not you have love in your heart. And as 1 Corinthians chapter 13 begins, Paul gives us a list of things that are very important. But he makes it very clear that none of these things are as important as love. And so if you want to jot these thoughts down tonight or maybe just lock them in your mind, but at least listen to what I'm saying and listen to what the Bible is saying. First of all, the Bible is saying that love is more important than spiritual gifts. Love is more important than spiritual gifts. Look in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And so here he uses the gift of tongues that in the first century church, what would happen back then, and it could still happen today on, on the mission field or anywhere God wanted it to happen, but particularly in the first century, what was happening is that Christians were receiving this very unique gift. And they were speaking in languages they had never learned so that other people who had never been saved could hear the plan of salvation and hear about Jesus Christ. And so it was a spectacular gift. You can imagine even in the church today, if somebody says, I have the gift of leading or I have the gift of ministry or I have the gift of helping someone or I have the gift of preaching or teaching, these are all wonderful gifts. But if somebody, if we were all in a circle and somebody says, well, you know, those are great gifts. But I have the gift to speak in Japanese, Chinese, German, Russian, Czechoslovakia, all these languages. I can speak in any language, and the amazing thing is I've never had a class in any of them. Well, those of us who have some of the other gifts would be like, wow, 
do it. Let me hear you do it. Stand up and say something. And of course, we wouldn't know whether they were speaking it or not we don't, unless we knew the language. But if somebody was in that circle who was from one of those countries and they were able to hear the gospel in their own language, those of us who have the gift of ministry or help or encouragement or preaching or teaching, we would say, wow, their gift seems to be, it's certainly a more spectacular gift. It's a more exciting gift. I wish I was able to speak in all these languages that I had never learned. And that's exactly how the people in Corinth felt. Everybody wanted the gift of tongues because it was literally a miraculous gift. And yet Paul says, though, and Paul had the gift of tongues, but he said, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. In other words, my gift is, is annoying. My gift is, is not good. My gift, as miraculous as it is, is not even tasteful in the ears of God. So the first thing Paul says is, love is more important than spiritual gifts. And that leads me to make this statement. Spiritual maturity is not gauged by spiritual gifts. Spiritual maturity is gauged by spiritual fruit. So sometimes you may see a person who has a certain gift and they do something and you think, wow, that person is really good at what they do. They must be a spiritually mature person. Well, spirit, that's not necessarily true. Spiritual gifts and spiritual maturity are not the same thing. And so just because somebody has a gift, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're mature. Spiritual maturity is gauged by fruit and the fruit of the Spirit at the head of the list in Galatians chapter 5, when Paul lists out the nine fruit of the Spirit, he begins by saying, the fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? You know it, love. And so Paul's saying, you need to remember, love is more important than spiritual gifts. The second thing he says is that love is more important than preaching. Now, in a church service, we do a lot of great things. I'm, always, I'm partial to the music. I always like to hear the music and sing the music, and I love that. But the most important thing that is done in a worship service is the preaching of God's Word. And I don't say that because I'm a preacher. I say because God's Word is the most important thing in the room tonight. But as important as preaching is, look in verse 2. Paul said, and though I have the gift of prophecy or preaching and understand all mysteries and so on, but he said, if I have not love." I am nothing. And so as important as it is for me to preach the Word, for you to hear the Word, that's not as important as love. And if I preach the Word of God without love in my heart, it doesn't even count in the eyes of God. God's Word would be blessed, but it would not have the full blessing on it as if a preacher had love in his heart. And then he says, love is more important than wisdom. Watch this in, again in verse 2. And understand all mysteries... And all knowledge. And so here's a person who has spiritual discernment. They're able to look at a situation, make a decision, and say, this is the will of God. Well, that's a wonderful gift to have wisdom like that. But Paul says that wisdom is not as important as love. Love trumps the wisdom. And he also says that love is more important than faith. Look, look again at this verse. He says, and though I have all faith. We talk a lot about faith. Faith is so very important. But he says, I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And so it's more important for a Christian to be filled with love 
than it is even for a Christian to be filled with faith. And so we have to keep in mind what Paul is saying here about the importance of love. And then in verse 3, he just keeps going on. He says, love is more important than generosity. He says, and though I bestow all my gifts or all my goods to feed the poor. Some people have the gift of giving, and they're very generous. But the Bible says, even if you're the most generous person in the church or the most generous person in the whole world, if that generosity is not being motivated by love in your heart, it really doesn't even count in God's eyes. God would rather you have love than even to be a generous person. And then at the end of the verse, he says one more thing that's absolutely staggering to me. He says, love is more important than martyrdom, than giving your life. He says, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And so when we think about the great sacrifices that the early Christians made, many of them burned at the stake, many of them eaten by the lions, some were killed with a sword, some were beheaded, and they, get, they literally gave their lives for Jesus. And this is happening today in various parts of the world, and we see it uh, too often on the news. And yet the Bible says, even if you make the ultimate sacrifice and give your life for the cause of Christ, if you don't have love in your heart, that sacrifice will not profit you anything. And so he's making a very strong point, and he's going to extreme measures to do it, that love is the most important thing in your life. It is more important than how smart you are, how talented you are. It's more important than how discerning you are. Love is the key, which leads me to this question tonight, leads us to this question tonight. If love is that important, the question is, well, what is love? When Paul says, hey, love is the big deal, it's the main thing, the question is, what is love? Sometimes we understand what something is by learning what it isn't. And sometimes if we can understand what something is not, we can better understand what something is. And so in a moment, I want to tell you what love is, but first I want to tell you what love is not. First of all, love is not agreeing on everything. Love is not agreeing on everything. Just because you love somebody, that doesn't mean you have to agree with them on every single issue. I've heard my mother say many times through the years, talking about the marriage relationship, some people have asked her, do you and Charles agree on everything? And she says, oh, heavens no. If two people agree on everything, one person's unnecessary. Well, that's probably, there's probably some truth to that. But, but, but love is not just agreeing on everything. The fact is, there are some issues... I could mention political issues tonight, immigration, health care, uh, the wall in Mexico. I could mention all these different political issues, how, the, best thing, the best ways to stimulate the economy, and I could say, well, I think the best thing to do on that issue is this. And you may say, well, you know, John, I think the best thing to do on that issue is this. And we may have completely different opinions of an issue. But that doesn't mean we don't love each other. And it doesn't mean that in order to love each other, we have to agree on every single issue. Love doesn't mean that you agree on everything. Even in the New Testament, we read about the Apostle Paul. One of his best friends was a, a man named Barnabas. 
And Barnabas helped Paul after he first got saved. And Barnabas helped Paul when he first went into the ministry. And the two of them went on a missionary trip together. And after they returned to the, head, the, the place called Antioch where they had started the trip and they got ready to go on a second missionary journey, Barnabas said, I want to take John Mark with us on the next trip. And the apostle Paul said, I don't want him to go. On the first trip, he quit. I don't want to take a quitter with me. And so Paul and Barnabas had a, a disagreement on that issue, and they went separate ways. And this, now the gospel is going in two places instead of one. But they still had love in their hearts for each other, even though they disagreed on that issue. So love is not uh, agreeing on everything. I'll tell you something else love is not. Love is not compromising your convictions. Sometimes you may be in a relationship, a friendship, a marriage, a dating relationship, and somebody may put pressure on you and say something like, well, if you love me, you need to just stop going to church. Or if you love me, you need to spend so much time reading the Bible. Or if you love me, you need to quit giving 10% of your income to the church. If you love me, you need to prove that you love me by doing all these things. Well, that's not love. Love is not compromising what your conviction is. Just because you love somebody, that doesn't mean you have to be untrue to God's Word. It doesn't mean you have to be untrue to your own convictions. We need to make sure our convictions are based on God's Word and not just something that we dreamed up on our own or somebody told us. But if you have a conviction about something from the Word of God, you don't have to sacrifice that in the name of loving somebody else. And then something else that love is not Love is not necessarily trust. Love is not necessarily trust. Now look in verse 7, because you would think, when we, and we're going to read this verse in a few minutes, you would think that love and trust are the same thing. He's describing what love is, and he says love bears all things. And then the second thing here, he said love believes all things. You would think, well, believes all things. That must mean that, mean that love is trust. This word believes doesn't mean to be naive, to be foolish, to just always believe the best about everybody. I mean, it mean what it literally means is you love is not suspicious. Love is not paranoid. Love is not looking for, you know, if somebody says something to you, love is not looking for the worst. You're hoping for the best. You're even believing for the best. But it doesn't mean that you're naive. Love is not necessarily trust. In the life of Jesus... Now, Jesus is the perfect model of love. He loved perfectly and purely, and his, he is our ultimate example when it comes to love. And yet, Jesus did not always trust people. Did you know in the life of Jesus, there were three separate occasions, Luke chapter 4, John chapter 8, John chapter 10, where Jesus was in a, in a situation where there were people around who wanted to kill him, and he knew they wanted to kill him. And yet, Jesus didn't say, well, I love you, so I just believe you don't want to kill me. No, he knew they wanted to kill him. And on those three separate occasions, he left. He, he left the scene. He wasn't scared of them, but he used the, his mind, and he didn't trust the people who he knew were trying to do him damage or to do him harm. And so, love and trust are related, I suppose, they can't, but they're not exactly the same thing. You can love somebody without trusting them. And so we always need to remember that. So what is love? 
If, if, if love is not those things, it's not necessarily agreeing with everybody on every issue. It's certainly not sacrificing your convictions. And it's not necessarily trusting somebody. Well, what is love? Well, the Bible is very clear on that. First of all, love is having a right heart attitude towards everybody else. Now, the fact is, our heart We can be deceived by our own heart. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, it says the heart is is deceitful. And so we can fool ourselves. But I think on this particular issue when it comes to love, you pretty much know when it comes to another person, if you have a good attitude or a bad attitude, if you have a right uh, attitude or a wrong one. Now, beginning in verse number 4 and through verse number 7, The Bible gives us 16 different descriptions of love. It's interesting to me that Paul doesn't seek to define love, but instead he describes love. And he said, this is what love is like. And he gives us 16 different descriptions. Now, as I read through this list, and as you listen to to these descriptions of love, keep in mind what love is. Because here's all of these things I'm about to read are going to fall into one of three categories. It's either an attitude that you have to another person, or it's an action that you express towards another person, or it is an aspiration that you have for another person. In other words, you want, if you truly love somebody, you're going to want what is best for that person. And so as we go through this list, and I'm not going to say this one goes into this category and this one goes into this category, but just listen for attitudes actions, and aspirations. Those are the three, and they all start with the letter A to make it easy for you, okay? Attitudes, actions, and aspirations. Can we say that together? What are they? Attitudes, actions, and aspirations. Now, here is Paul's description of love. First, love suffers long. Some of your translations say love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, or love does not boast. Love is not proud, or love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Literally, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then in verse 8, Paul said, love, this kind of love, never, ever fails. And so in that list, we have uh, a description of what love is. First, it is having a right uh, heart, uh, having a right attitude towards everybody else. In other words, when you love somebody, you have a heart You have an attitude that is free from resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness, grudges. It's free of all that. Certainly, it's free of hatred. And that's what I'm saying. If you have those negative feelings towards another person, you know it's there. I mean, it's true the heart is deceitful, and sometimes we, and I guess we could even be deceived on this. But when it comes to love, I think you pretty well know if your heart is right towards somebody or it's wrong towards somebody. I know that. So if my attitude ever gets wrong towards another person, God convicts me of that pretty easily. And I know that, I'm not, that something's not right. And so the first thing that love is, even before we get into the actions and the things that we should do and how we should treat people, love is an attitude. 
And it is an attitude that is free of all that and an attitude that genuinely cares about the other person. When you love somebody, you are able to see that that person, no matter what disagreements you may have had, no matter what it may have transpired in your relationship, you're able to see that that person was made in the image of God and that God loves that person as much as God loves you. And that Jesus died on the cross for that person just like Jesus died on the cross for you. And so when our hearts are right, that's how we're able to see another person. And yet we would have to admit that some people are easier to love than other people. If you agree with that, say amen. It's true. I was home last night and my doorbell rang about 8 or 8.30 and it was my next door neighbor. And she uh, said, John, I just made you and my husband some fresh oatmeal raisin cookies, and here's your, it was still hot, the thing that she brought it to me in, the container. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think it's difficult for me to love her? (laughs) Every time I eat a cookie, I love her more. If you're home and somebody brings you oatmeal raisin cookies, if that's your favorite cookie, it's not hard to love that person. Let me ask you this question. Do you think I get any credit with God for loving her? No. I mean, you think God looked down last night and here I am sitting there doing what I, reading whatever I was doing, talking on the phone, and here comes a lady bringing me cookies, and I go back in the house thinking, I sure do love her and her husband. Well, God's not impressed with that. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, if you love people who do good things for you, you're not any different than non-believer, than, than the pagans are. It's not hard to love somebody like that. Let me ask you this, what if I'd have been sitting home last night and my doorbell rang and somebody was there that I didn't even know or maybe I did know them and they said, John, we just want to tell you, we hate you, you're the worst preacher we've ever heard and we hope we'll never hear you preach another sermon in all our lives. Well, now if I love a person who said that to me, then I get credit with God. Because I would have loved somebody who was difficult to love. Now, that's an extreme example, but it makes the point. You see, sometimes God allows people into our lives. They're not bringing us cookies. They're not telling us how wonderful we are. In fact, they're doing just the opposite. They're pulling us down, or they're saying things to try to hurt us, or they're working behind our back, or they're not being loyal. And yet God says, now you have an opportunity to show unconditional love to that person in a way that you never could have to a person who's bringing you food or being super nice to you. So love, first of all, is an attitude. Well, that's so true. Love is an attitude, and God wants us to have a right heart attitude for everyone. People who have hurt us, people who've done us wrong, people who've worked behind our back. And so I would just say today, if you're having a hard time loving somebody, there are probably only two reasons why that's true. And maybe you could ask yourself these two questions, and maybe it would be helpful. If, if your heart is not filled with love for another person, ask yourself, first of all, this question. Are you truly saved? Has there ever been a time in your life when you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, forgive you of your sins, and make you a Christian? Because if you have done that, the Bible says that the love of God has been poured out into your heart. And so you should be able to love others out of the overflow of God's love in you. Now, you may be listening today and you say, well, John, I know I'm saved. I know I've done that. I've received Jesus, and yet I'm still having difficulty loving this person in my life. Well, let me ask you a second question. Are you living your life so closely connected 
to Jesus Christ that loving other people is natural to you. You see, the Bible teaches that if we are rightly related to Jesus, if we are connected to Him, if we're abiding in Him, He will produce the fruit of the Spirit in our hearts. And one of those fruit is love. And so, if you're having a hard time loving somebody, maybe you are truly saved, but you're just not living as close to God as you want to live and as you need to live. And so I would encourage you today just to say to God, Lord, I want to be closer to you. I want to love others with the same unconditional love with which you have loved me. And so I'm asking you to fill my heart with that kind of love and then help it to overflow in my relationship to others. And friend, if you'll do that, you will be blessed. Peace by Believing is an extension of the ministry of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. If you would like to grow in your relationship with God, we have several booklets online for you to read or download. To find them, go to our website, peacebybelieving.org, click on the Spiritual Growth tab, and scroll down to the booklet section. If the ministry of Peace by Believing has been a blessing to you, please email us at info at peacebybelieving.org. We pray that you have a blessed week.